Welcome to the podcast of Follow Baptist Church. Our vision and mission is to follow Jesus in our community for His glory. We hope and pray that you are blessed, challenged and inspired by this message. For more information on Follow Church, you can visit our website at www.followchurch.com.au. Yes, good morning again, everyone. It's time now we're going to turn our attention together to the Word of God, and we're going to um, read from the Scriptures together. We're continuing our series through the book of First Peter, a series called Aliens. And today we're reading First Peter chapter 3, verses 1 to 12. You should have, if you don't have a Bible with you, you should have one at the uh, under the seat at the end of the aisle, which you're free to read along with, or you can follow on the screen. And if perchance you do not own your own Bible and you would like one, feel free to keep the one that's um, under the seats. So let's read together. First Peter chapter 3. Wives, in the same way, submit yourselves to your own husbands, so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behaviour of their wives when they see the purity and reverence of your lives. Your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as elaborate hairstyles and the wearing of gold jewellery or fine clothes. Rather, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. For this is the way the holy women of the past, who put their hope in God, used to adorn themselves. They submitted themselves to their own husbands, like Sarah, who obeyed Abraham and called him her Lord. You are her daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. Finally, all of you be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing, because to this you are called, so that you may inherit a blessing. For whoever would love life and see good days must keep their tongue from evil and their lips from deceitful speech. They must turn from evil and do good. They must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Now we'll hand over to Pastor Luke. When I was around 10 years old, we had a dog called Reese. Reese was a Kelpie, a breed known to be dogs of high energy and high intelligence. They're working dogs. And our Kelpie was certainly high energy, but unfortunately seemed to have a fairly low brain capacity. One of the things our Kelpie decided it wanted to do is that instead of rounding up cars and sheep, it decided it wanted to round up cars. And uh, one day it went out and it tried to round up a car and it got hit by a car and it found out pretty quickly that in that game it would never win. And so it left our family with a difficult decision to make. The decision was uh, we could either put Reese down or we could have his leg amputated. Now, I've learned as a parent that you have many discussions as parents independent of your children, particularly in delicate, difficult situations. And my mum and dad had had several conversations when we went around about what to do about this situation, whether they would amputate the leg or whether they would put uh, the dog down. Um, dad and uh, yeah, my dad particularly had weighed up the financial commitments of amputation 
and euthanasia, and I think that had tilted him in a certain direction, and uh, he had decided on the best course of action. And looking back now, I know it must have been hard for him, considering uh, everything that was going on, considering all the factors at play, the impact on us as kids, the financial implications of either choice, the quality of life for the dog, and the emotional turmoil that we'd all go through either way. And so looking back now, I understand that. Now. At the time, I didn't understand it. And I was angry that Dad would even suggest that maybe we could put uh, Reesey Boy down. When he presented that option, I certainly wasn't happy. In order to convince me one day, I remember him saying to me, Luke, how would you feel walking Reese down the street? Would you be embarrassed to have a three-legged dog? <laughs> and, and at that point, in my emotional delicacy and the difficulty I was going through, I simply responded by saying, Dad, you're bald and we walk you down the street. <laughs> it's not easy being a dad. Just trying to do the right thing for the family. And he gets a teenage, Richard, response like that. It's difficult. I remember another time, the next door neighbour had a cat. And the cat was called Pudpud. And this cat, ridiculous name, but it was a, a funny cat, it was a lovely cat, it was a friendly cat, until one day it snapped and it became a psycho cat. And as a result of that, it started attacking the children in our household. So my brothers and I um, were attacked by this cat. And one day, Dad, uh, the cat attacked me in the driveway and Dad had had enough. He said, I'm going to scare this cat away for good. So he went to the garage and he, he grabbed the nearest thing he could find. And what he found first was a little rounder's bat which is uh, you know, a small cricket bat, and he thought, oh, I'll just throw it at the cat and I'll scare the cat away and we won't have this problem anymore. It'll stay out of our yard. And so he walked into the backyard and there's Pud Pud, chest puffed out, like, come on, old guy, give it your best shot. And uh, Dad picked up the bat and I can only describe it like a Hollywood movie, slow motion. And uh, Dad's like, get out of there. And he throws the bat and the bat's in the air going, and the cat's looking back going, and it's running, and the cat's running, and the bat's getting closer and closer until the bat hits the cat in the head, and the cat is dead. <laughs> the next door neighbor was a very grumpy lady, and uh, so one of the other neighbors came over, and he said the best thing to do is just chuck it out on the main road and pretend it got hit by a car. <laughs> Dad decided we knew about that, so that was not a good role modelling. He just killed a cat, that was bad enough. And so he decided to take it to the vet. The neighbour convinced him maybe it was unconscious. So he went down to the vet and he told the reception lady, she started blubbering and carrying on and, and you know, treating Dad like he was some sort of criminal. And, and so he takes his cat into the vet and he said, is there any chance that the cat's just unconscious? And the doctor pulls out the cat and says, this cat is dead and drops it back in the box. And so Dad had to go next door to this grumpy old lady. Uh, she's dead now, so I can use her name. Her name was Will. And went next door to Will and said, uh, knock, knock, knock. Uh, hello? Uh, hello, Will. It's Paul next door. Hello, Paul. And uh, Dad said, there's been an accident. And Will said, oh, is everyone all right? And Dad says, yes, but your cat's not. And uh, went on to describe what had happened and uh, in the end, it was quite an awkward situation because for the next few months, many other neighbours had cats. And so every time Dad was out the front, you'd hear them going, here, puss, 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 rounding their cats up inside. And so uh, that's my dad. And it's a, it's a very troubling um, story, particularly when we're talking about one of the elders of our church. Um, 
But I can assure you it was an accident. And I can assure you that uh, in both of those situations, Dad was just doing his very best to protect the family, to do what was best by the family. But it just shows that things don't always work out like we want. And today we're honouring our dads. But no dad's perfect. Um, some dads are, have been awful and there's no excuse for some of the things they've done. Um, but, but most dads are just um, fallen, sinful people who are trying their best uh, to serve their wives and their families for the glory of God. And so today is a great day to extend grace. It's a great day to show your appreciation and love for your dad. Uh, it's a great day to honour all the dads, but also remember that we have a dad that will never let us down. Despite the circumstances of life, we have a heavenly father who will never kill the next door neighbour's cat. He'll, he'll never betray us. He'll never leave us. He'll never let us down. And so if you're in a difficult situation with your dad, you can take comfort today in the fact that you have a father that will not let you down. Today's message is a continuation of our current series through the letter of 1 Peter. And while it doesn't directly address fatherhood, there's a lot of advice about marriage. And you know what they say, happy wife, happy life. And so dads, there's a lot in here for you. But there's also advice for every Christian person. So I pray that God would speak to each of us through his word today and by his spirit. The title of the message today is Living Out the Gospel. And in this part of the letter of 1 Peter, Peter's addressing what it looks like to live out your faith in a culture that's largely resistant and opposed to Christianity. In Peter's day, Christianity was not at the centre of their culture. It was seen as a bit of a cult on the outskirts. Uh, It was not at the centre at all. And uh, these people were persecuted for their faith. And as we're heading into a post-Christian world in our culture, we're no longer in the middle or the centre of our culture. And as I said a few weeks ago, it's not necessarily a bad thing because it's a great opportunity for mission. And the church has always flourished uh, more effectively on the margins than it has in the centre, where we've largely become apathetic and insipid. And so uh, it's a great opportunity for mission. But as we're heading back in a post-Christian world, back to the margins, this letter that Peter wrote Uh, thousands of years ago, uh, will become increasingly relevant and helpful for us in a world where we are likely to suffer for our faith at one point or another. If you missed last week's message, uh, do yourself a favour and listen to it on the podcast on iTunes. Uh, Ray preached last week and he preached a great message about what it means to be living stones, uh, people chosen and set apart by God. And in the chapter that Ray looked at last week, it addressed um, how to conduct ourselves in different situations And how to respect people in different circumstances, whether it's the emperor or the governor for us, the prime minister or our politicians, whether you're a slave or a master, whether you had a good boss or a bad boss, Peter encouraged us as God's chosen people set apart to be people to respect everyone. And he reminded the people that the aim of the Christian life is through the power of the Holy Spirit to live a life that Christ would be honoured within and his character would be reflected in all of our relationships. In chapter 3, he continues his teaching, and he now applies it to marriage. And then he wraps up the section by applying the gospel for all of us. And so there's three bits of advice today from this passage that we're going to focus on. The first two apply directly to marriage for the wives and for the husbands, and the third one is more general for all of us as Christian men and women. The big picture idea today, if you're looking for a big picture idea, The big picture is that we are called to live out the gospel every day and in all aspects of life. Now, if we're going to talk about marriage today, I think we really have to go to Ephesians chapter 5. I think Ephesians chapter 5 is the most comprehensive uh, picture. It's a beautiful picture of what marriage can be. And yet most of our culture would read a passage such as Ephesians 5, and they would see it as old-fashioned, out of date, irrelevant, wrong, 
or even dangerous. And one of the main reasons for that is that Paul in Ephesians 5 uses the same word that Peter uses in this passage, and that word is submission. And submission is a word that um, gets a bad rap, and it usually has negative connotations, because often when we're talking about submission, people think about slaves and masters or um, abusive situations. And so the idea of submission, um, particularly within a marriage, is one that's not accepted um, readily in our culture. But yet it's vital to note that the Ephesians passage begins with a really stunning statement. And the statement is this, that in a marriage you are to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And then it goes through the uh, the passage and it breaks down what this would look like in a marriage. And so it starts by saying, um, the husband is the head of the wife. And so wives submit to your husband as to the Lord. In fact, it says wives submit to your husbands in everything. Now, I know what some of the men are thinking. You're thinking, stop there, Luke, you nailed it. Uh, close in prayer, hashtag preach it, brother. This is great stuff. And go home. This is going to be a great Father's Day. Uh, this will be the best present ever. Forget the socks and jocks. Don't worry about the Bunnings voucher. I'll even give up the uh, world's best dad mug. If you can just sort out my wife, uh, this would be an amazing day. But the problem, men, is this, that Paul doesn't stop there. He goes on to say this incredible thing. He says, husbands... Love your wives as Christ loves the church. How does Christ love the church? He's literally died for the church. He has laid his life down in an act of radical self-sacrifice. And so this is what he says. He says, husbands ahead of the wife. Wives, submit to your husbands in everything. Husbands, lay your life down for your wives as Christ has laid his life down for the church with radical self-sacrificial love. And let me tell you guys, there's not many women on the planet that are going to have a trouble submitting to or respecting a husband who's laid his life down for them. Because everything he does is with their best interest at heart. Everything he does is because he loves and cherishes and values his wife to, to see her grow and flourish in everything she does. And so it's a beautiful, stunning picture of marriage. And yet many people, even some Christians, seem to be embarrassed about what God's word says. And they'll step back from this and say it's no longer relevant to us today in our culture. Husbands and wives, I don't think God wants us to step back from this. I think he's urging us to step up into this. And when we do, we will reflect his character in our marriages. This teaching is still as relevant today as it was when it was written. And we know that's true for a couple of reasons. The first reason is this, that God's word's eternal and and culture changes and views on what's right and wrong and relevant and all that sort of stuff, that'll shift here, today, tomorrow, the next week, whenever. But God's word remains because it's eternally relevant and it's relevant in every culture. It's relevant in every era. It's relevant in every socio-economic climate. It's relevant in every geographical location on the planet. And so everything will change around us, but God's word remains. The second reason we know that this teaching on marriage is still relevant is because it's actually living out the very gospel that saves us. You see, the Bible teaches that, that we as God's people, those that put their faith in Jesus, the Bible teaches that we are the bride of Christ, precious to him. And when he returns, he is coming back for his bride. And so Jesus is the bridegroom, and we as his people are the bride. Now, how do we relate to Jesus as the bridegroom? Well, we look to him, and we love him, and we serve him, and we honor him, and we love him, and we cherish him. 
and we live our lives to please him. But how does he interact with us as the bridegroom? Well, he doesn't stand over us. He doesn't dominate us. He doesn't manipulate us. He doesn't abuse us, but he lays his life down in radical, self-sacrificial love. It's a beautiful, stunning picture of Christ and the church. And this is what we call the gospel. And what Paul is saying is that this relationship is the most amazing relationship we'll ever experience in life. To be in that relationship with Christ is what we live for. It's the greatest thing in life. It brings us joy and fulfillment and everything we could ever hope for. And Paul's saying that as we live this relationship out with Jesus is a picture of what we can live out in our marriages. And when we live out this in our marriages where we love and serve one another and submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, the joy we experience in Christ can be realized in our marriages. That's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing to be married and to live in a relationship like that. And so how are we going with all that? Because this is what is to be lived out in our marriages. And when we do, people may argue with the theory of it. They may argue with the language of it. But if they look at a relationship that is thriving, where the husband and wife are thriving in their God-given gifts, where the kids are growing up in a respectful way, loving their parents, they will look at that and they'll see something different in us. And this is a great opportunity for us to show the power of the gospel. You see, the gospel is not a relic that we can pick up our Bibles and blow off the dust and, and you know, it's some sort of old-fashioned book. The, the, the gospel is a living hope. We're rooted in Christ. It's incredible. And so the gospel is powerful and relevant in every part of our life, whether it's with our boss, uh, with our master, with our um, wives or with our husbands or in everyday life. And so in our marriages, we can demonstrate that the gospel is powerful. You see, so many marriages are ruled by selfishness. Our society often puts the emphasis on us. We go into a marriage and we want our wants and our needs and our desires met. And we kind of live like it's all about the most important person in the world. And not only that, but I look at a lot of marriages and I see this jostling for power and control. Now, who's wearing the pants in this relationship? Now, if you know uh, our family, you'll know that that's not an argument we have in our house. Um, I wear the pants in our family. It's just that Kim chooses what colour they are, what style they are, <laughs> and how often I get to wear them. And so there's no argument. But in all seriousness... This constant contest of who's in charge actually works against building a healthy and Christ-honoring marriage. And the Bible provides the alternative. The alternative is to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ as a visible display of the gospel. Our world and our relationships are so full of brokenness, hurt, divorce and dysfunction. It's clear that something is going wrong with the way that we're doing things. And maybe, just maybe, I think definitely, God's word has the answers. Our calling as Christian people here today is not to live according to the patterns and trends of this world, but rather to put our faith in the eternal word of God and to enable the Holy Spirit to empower us to live for him. And we should not be surprised if we do this, that we look incredibly different to the world around us. In fact, that's the exact point Peter's making throughout this letter. He says that we are aliens. That's the name of our series. We are aliens and strangers in this world. And so the way we interact in our workplace, with our boss, with other employees, the way we work in our family, with our kids and our husbands and our wives, the way we work in our relationships in life, it's going to be strange to some people. And that's okay. In fact, that's the way it's meant to be because Christianity is an alternate reality. Christianity is a radically countercultural way to live.
And so Peter picks up on this in today's passage. And the first bit of advice is this. He says, wives, make it as easy as possible for your husbands. I heard a story of a man who died and went to heaven to find two signs above two different cues. One sign said, all those men who've been dominated by their wives stand here. The line of men seemed to stretch off through the clouds into infinity. The second line, with the sign above it, said, all those who have never been dominated by their wives stand here. Underneath that sign stood one lonely man. The man who arrived in heaven went over to the man. He grabbed him by the arm and he shook him. And he said, how did you do it? What's the secret? That other line has millions of men and you're the only man standing in this line. The man looked around with a puzzled expression and he said, why, I'm not really sure that I know. My wife just told me that I had to stand here. (laughs) We're laughing because it's so true. Uh, Over the years, I've met many wives who I'm convinced see it as their role to fix their hopeless husband. And they put a strategy in place. The strategy involves nagging, putting them down. Sometimes it's manipulation or when all else fails, a regular dose of the silent treatment, which is an incredibly effective strategy, which I may or may not have received this time last week when I came home with a puppy. (laughs) Gorgeous puppy, I love you. I don't like my husband right now. I said may or may not have happened last weekend. And I know my wife's in kids' church today, and so what happens in this room stays in this room. And I know that it's not going to go any further, so that's great. But wives, can I tell you today that it's not your job to fix or change your husband in those ways. Firstly, when you try, it will just drive him away and cause resentment. But secondly, it's not how you're called to live out the gospel in a marriage relationship. Peter makes it clear that it's not words of manipulation. It's not nagging. It's not even the silent treatment that will make the difference. But what will make the difference is living out the gospel. And he says through things like purity, reverence, and the beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. It's interesting that Paul talks about physical appearance, isn't it? In verse 3, he says, Your beauty, speaking to the wives, should not come from outward adornments such as elaborate hairstyles and the wearing of gold jewellery or fine clothes. Rather, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty. Uh, the external fades, doesn't it? Everything starts to wrinkle and sag and we don't end up looking like this for the rest of our lives, right? Uh, when you get to 40, um, some people might say 30, maybe 30 is true, but about 40 onwards, you know, you start to go over the hill, don't you? And you, things start to not look like you want them to look anymore. But Paul says it's not about the outward appearance. It's that of the inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. Now, I don't think he's saying here to the women today that it's wrong to dress up that it's wrong to do do jewellery. Put your necklace back on, that's okay. Uh, He's not saying that any of that is wrong at all. He's not saying that, and you'd be relieved to know that. At our house, we have a bathroom upstairs. And when I say we have a bathroom, technically it's for Kim and I. Um, But regularly I'll go in there. There's two basins and a big mirror. Uh, But regularly I'll go in there and find out that the bathroom has been hijacked by four beautiful young women. Um, When I say young women, I'm including my wife in that. So if you're going to tell her anything from today, tell her that. Kim, you're a beautiful young woman, okay? Luke said. We got it? No, I don't think you have. 
But I regularly go in there and, and the bathroom is hijacked. In fact, this morning, I'd already prepared this sermon and I walked into the bathroom and I thought, this is perfect because they're doing it this morning. They've taken over the bathroom and they're there with their hair dryers and their combs and their hairspray and, and all that sort of stuff. And I walk in kind of <coughs> choking on the fumes of what's going on in the bathroom. And uh, it's hijacked on a regular basis. Um, but next time that happens, I'm not going to storm in there. I'm not going to storm in there and go, right, put your weapons down. And they put their hair dryers and their combs down and step away from the mirror. Put your hands on your head. For the Lord says your beauty does not come from your outward adornment. It comes from the beauty of your inner self. Now go and work on that. I'm not going to do that. Firstly, because I'd be killed. Uh, secondly, because I, I like the fact that they take pride in their appearance. I like the fact that they are guarding the temple of the Holy Spirit they've been given and they're doing everything they can to live healthy lives. So I have no issue with that at all. But what Peter is saying is that at the level we care about our outward appearance, at a much greater level we should be concerned about our inner self, that we regularly should be examining our heart and asking God what are the things in our lives that need to change and grow. And Peter's addressing wives, but it's just as applicable for all of us, isn't it? That we focus on what's going on in our lives. Wives, Peter's speaking to you, your actions are what God will use to win over your husbands. It's not always easy. I know for some of the wives here today or listening on the podcast, that it's a constant struggle. And you may do this for years. You're praying for your husband. You're setting an example with very little change. But I want to say today that as you pray and as you seek God for your husband, know that one day you'll be accountable, not for whether or not he changed, but rather how you lived out the gospel in that relationship. Wives, if you want the men in your life to be the Christ-like men God's called them to be, then make it as easy as possible for them to be that. And so I want to ask the wives today, how are you going in this regard? How are you encouraging your husband? Are you supporting him? Are you helping him to be the best man and the best person and the best husband and the best dad he can possibly be? Because today, if you were to do that for him, that would be the best Father's Day gift you could ever give him. And so Peter's advice to the wives is make it as easy as possible for your husbands. Guess what his advice to the husbands is? I've lost the wives. I'm going to get them back now. Because his advice is this. Husbands, make it as easy as possible as you can for your wives. Verse 7. Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. Well, you notice in this passage, you see twice as much space given to addressing the women as to the men. Now, men, you're probably thinking, yeah, that's because they need the work. That's not the truth. It's actually the opposite. There's twice as much addressed to the women because Peter's living in a culture um, where women were seen as second-class citizens. They were downtrodden. They were abused. They were viewed uh, as possessions. And so in that culture, women were much more likely to suffer at the hands of men as men were at the hands of women. And Peter's writing this letter addressing the issue of suffering, and so he spends a lot of time talking to the women. Now, we've had thousands of years since then. Many technological advancements, so much education and work's been done in the area of respect and love and equality, and yet it's shameful to say that after all the changes in our culture, it's hard to say that we're any better at this today. In fact, just a couple of weeks ago, and Ray would be very familiar with a lot of these stats, but I was talking to um, someone at the Cadinia Shire, an employee there, and they said currently their single biggest issue in this region is domestic abuse, and it's at epidemic proportions. And they were saying that the majority of it is women being abused or kids being abused at the hands of men. 
Now, I think this is a great opportunity for us as Christian men to, to live something different, where many men in our culture are abusing and manipulating and using um, their wives or their girlfriends or just women in, in general as possessions. We have an opportunity to actually step up to what God's calling us to be and be those men who love and serve and sacrifice for our wives, that we would bring light into the darkness of what's going on in the world around us. And so even though Peter, in this passage, encouraged the, men, encouraged the women to submit to their husbands, he in no way is seeing them as less valuable than the men. And now as he turns his attention to the men, he's quick to remind them of their responsibility to respect their wives. One of the things I love about the gospel is it's the great leveler. It brings us all on equal footing. It doesn't matter if you're a Greek or a Jew or a husband or a wife or a man or a woman. It doesn't matter. In Christ, we are equally valued and loved and cherished by God. The truth is that that without Christ, all of us would be lost. It doesn't mean that the men would be able to make our way to heaven and the women would be left behind. No, no, we're all lost. The Bible says that all of us have fallen short of the glory of God. And so none of us have any hope for eternity apart from Jesus Christ. That's true whether you're a man. That's true whether you're a woman. And yet God loved us so much that he left the glory of heaven and he came to earth. Jesus Christ, God in human form. And on the cross, he died. And he didn't die for his sins. He died for your sin. And he died for my sin. And he died there on the cross and he said, it's finished. And now in him, if we accept what he did, that punishment we deserve for the sins we've committed is transferred from us to Christ at the cross. And as we look to Jesus and say, thank you, Jesus, for doing for me what I could never do for myself. And when we accept him as Lord and Savior, we are saved. And whether you're a man or woman, in that relationship, you are equal before God. In Christ, all of us are forgiven. All of us are saved. All of us are now declared the children of God. All of us are equal and have great value and worth in God's sight, whether you're male or female. And we take this for granted. Yeah, we talk about equality and we think that's the way it should be. But just imagine how liberating the gospel would have been when Peter wrote this letter into his culture, where the women in no way were seen as equal. Uh, imagine how encouraging this would be for them to say, that I'm equal in Christ. That's an incredible blessing. And yet at the same time, Peter points out that we're different. God has created male and female, and we're different in many ways, designed to complement one another. And Peter refers to the women in this passage as the weaker partner. That's not my words. That's his words, and it's there, so we need to deal with it. But I don't think that he's saying weaker in terms of insulting. I think he's rather just stating what is generally true of our physiological makeup, that men's are, men are designed and created with bigger frames, with bigger bodies. We are, um, generally speaking, um, stronger than women. Now, there's some women here thinking, you know what, my husband's right, I reckon I've got him. Uh, and that may be the case. But that's, that's not the, that's not the common thing. You know, like if you hear a bump in the night that us guys don't hide under the doona and go, go and check it out, baby. And let me know what's going on. No, no, we get up and we go and we protect our family. Why? Because God's created us physically to be stronger. And I think this is what, is what Peter is saying in this passage. The men are generally created with bigger bodies. And God has created us that way, not to stand over not to intimidate, not to abuse like we're seeing in our society so much, but rather to love, to serve and to protect our wives, our children, our families. And God takes it so seriously that we would do this, 
that we would cherish and love our wives and families this way, that in verse 7, Peter says, if we don't, it could even hinder our prayers. Husbands, if you have to ask your wife to respect you, you're doing something wrong. Because if you're living out what the Bible teaches us, then our wives will naturally and easily respect us because we're laying our lives down for them with radical self-sacrificial love day after day we submit to our wives we love them they serve us they love us they we serve them we love them we lay our lives down they lay our, their lives down and it's this beautiful relationship together and so the wife's submission should always be matched by the husband's self-giving love and so peter says in this passage that the gospel is relevant in your workplace whether you've got a slave or a master it's relevant in your marriages with your husband and wife but it's relevant in every single part of life And so the third bit of advice from this passage is that we are called to be people who live out the gospel daily. The last few verses, which I'm going to read in a second, it actually describes God's people. And so as we read this, this is a descriptor of what we're meant to be like. And so as I read these verses today, I want you to not think about the person sitting next to you, not think about your husband or your wife, but think about yourself. And as we read this description of what Christians should be like, I want you to ask the Holy Spirit to help you and to show you what are the areas that you're doing well in and what are the areas that you need to grow in. And so starting at verse 8, it says, Finally, all of you, be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing. Because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. For whoever would love life and see good days must keep their tongue from evil and their lips from deceitful speech. They must turn from evil and do good. They must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. And so how are we going in these areas of our life? Because if I read this passage, it makes it clear that our words, our speech, is not to be used to bring down, it's not to be used for deceit, but it's used to be built up and encouraged. As I read this, I see that we're not to be people that hold grudges, but rather we seek peace and we actively pursue it. We are called to be people who are radically different, and this is relevant in our culture today. And it's relevant today for those who've got a difficult relationship with their dads. Your dad may have done the wrong thing by you, and you might think, you know what, what he did is unforgivable. And, and what he did doesn't deserve to be forgiven. And that may be true, but it's also true that you're sitting here today in Christ, forgiven, and you don't deserve it either. And this is what Peter's trying to get across, that the gospel is not just to be believed and received, but it's also to be lived out and to be given to others. It's applicable for parents who've got kids that have gone off the rails and they've caused you pain and suffering. It's, a, it's applicable in that situation. It's applicable in your workplace when you've got a boss that mistreats you. It's applicable uh, in your family, in different uh, extended family situations. Whatever you're going through, we're not to hold grudges. We're not to repay evil with evil, but it says we're to repay evil with blessing. I don't know about you, but that is radically countercultural living, and it's impossible by yourself. And this is why we need to turn to God in this. We need to rely on the Holy Spirit to help us and to empower us to be people who live out the gospel every day. So you read this and it just reminds you of Jesus, doesn't it? 
that he is compassionate to us. He's been sympathetic to us. He's loved us. He has been humble. He's kept his lips from evil. Even when people were persecuting, he never responded in anger. He never repaid evil for evil, but rather evil with blessing. He was a peacemaker and he pursued it. The Bible says, freely you have received, freely you have to give. The gospel is not just to be believed and to be received. I think the world's sick of that. Christians who never live it. The gospel is to be received, to be believed, and to be lived out as we give the gospel to other people in radical, self-sacrificial love. And he promises that as we do those very things, he'll be with us, for the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their prayer. On this Father's Day, 2016, whether you're a father or a husband, whether you're a mother or a wife, if you're a Christian in any walk of life, I hope you're encouraged not just to believe and receive the gospel, but to live out the gospel to everyone you come across for the glory of God. Let's pray. Lord, we just thank you so much for today. We thank you. It's a chance to stop and be thankful for our earthly fathers and for all that they do for us. Lord, I pray around the dinner tables today and the lunch tables that we would respect and honour and love our dads and be grateful for all that they've done. But Lord, I pray for those that have a difficult situation with their dads. Maybe today's a sad day that they reflect on what's gone wrong. I pray for your Holy Spirit to help us to be people who live radical lives, countercultural lives, lives that go against every fibre of our being, our sinful being, that wants to get revenge, that wants to pay back, that wants to do the wrong thing. Lord, I pray that you would help us to be people that the world would look at and say there's something different about those people. This letter was so relevant for Peter and his culture, and it's so relevant for us today. But we confess, Lord, we don't always get it right. We ask for your forgiveness when we don't. And we confess that we can't do it in our own strength. And so, Lord, would you fill us today with your Holy Spirit? Help us to be people that demonstrate that the gospel is not outdated, it's not irrelevant, it's not old-fashioned, it's not a relic to blow the dust off, but it's a living hope as we put our hope in you that you empower us to live for you and to reflect your character in everything we do. In Jesus' name, amen.